So let's give it up for Pastor Joe Wyrostek. Amen. Amen. It's great to be here. Moving right along, I'm going to talk to you today about something that's deep within my soul. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 23, verse 11. I titled it when I shared it on my Facebook page, Servant of All, but that was only because I couldn't put it in words at that moment. Because if you've noticed, the three chapels I've been with you were the two priors. This is my third one. I've really tried to give you insights from the heart of a minister who's been seasoned. And if you remember the first time I came and spoke to you, I talked about remaining strong and steady in life's ups and downs, and ministry's ups and downs. You guys remember that graph? And uh, you're going to go on mountaintops and valleys, and you have to remain steady, even kill, throughout those times. And then last time I was here, I talked about don't be deceived and that there's two major deceptions that happen in people's lives, and that the first one is is that people think is that uh, the world is big, material, universe, and then we're itty-bitty spirits, and that's not true. Everything we see has come from spirit. Uh, Spirit engulfs everything that we see. The material world is like a drop of water in the ocean of spirit. The material world is small, just indescribably small compared to God. And then the other thing is, is that uh, everything's pretty much going along uh, in a good way and that Satan is not fighting you and that uh, every now and then you're just going to face a spiritual battle. But that's actually the opposite. You are surrounded by spiritual battle. You are surrounded in a war. Your little 80 years here on this planet is but a drop in the bucket of this uh, war that's been going on since the beginning of time, since literally Satan fell from heaven. So if you just look around right now and you're like, oh, my neighbors like me, my family likes me, oh, everything's good right now, I'm not at war, or I'll, I'll drop out of ministry and just go get a normal job or something because I'm not at war. You have no idea. The entire world is at war right now. The entire universe, everything is at war, spiritually speaking, and the little bit of peace that we find, the little bit of rest and, and joy in this life is actually the miracle of God that we're not always fixated on death because of the, uh, the penalty and the curse of sin, that we're not always fixated on our our own demise. Even if we uh, live a long life, we will turn to grass. We will fade. We will lose our memory. If you've seen the notebook, you will forget the person, people you love the most. See, you know, it's only by God's grace that you're not fixated on that today and that uh, all of this is going to evaporate into fire and that God's judgment is going to come. And so the fact that we can kind of move on and do other things and enjoy child birth and enjoy life and enjoy a good uh, a snack mixture, whatever you have there, Fritos and some Sour Patch candy and so forth, is because God has given us a place of victory to stand in the midst of this gigantic war, okay? And so I talked about that last time. Today, what I want to talk about is in the context of being a servant of all, but I don't want to just Uh, Keep it where you've been before. What I want to do is kind of bring it into more of that like mysterious, deeper realm that I've been. And then Lord willing, 
will end the quarter like this. And next quarter, as I start up and you see me, I'll go into a series on honor. And I thought that was awesome that you had preached on honor and uh, that Lord had already put that in my heart months ago. And so that, that's something that I'm really excited about, just teaching you to honor God, honor each other, honor your calling, and just honor is the way of life. And, and we cannot receive from what we don't honor. You're going to receive a lot of principles from that because I know you honor me. So come ready next quarter. But I just want to say this before I get into this, that I am so proud of you. Congratulations. Can we just give the Lord a hand clap for bringing you this far? Amen. Some of you wanted to drop out. Some of you wanted to quit. Some of you wanted to move on to something else. You know, maybe this was too much for you, but you're still here, and I'm proud of you. And then if you would have quit, we wouldn't have kicked you out of the church. We would have greeted you on Sunday. You could have been doing great things for God. But understand this. Just because you quit on yourself doesn't mean we quit on you. Just remember that. We took you serious on the day you said that you were called. So just because now you want to go back on that doesn't mean we do, you know, we're going to just go back on it now. What we're going to do is say, pray through this, take this serious. And sometimes people, they take a long journey through the wilderness, man. They, they think, you know, it's better for me out there, and they go out there and try it for a while, and then they realize, no, that was a call of God. That was something I was supposed to do, and then the Lord brings them back in. One of the neat stories about uh, our church is Juan Riasco had come to me one time and said that he was called, came and actually started uh, SUM, was here for a day. Was he accepted or was he visiting that day? Okay, he did the application but wasn't officially accepted. Okay, and visited. And then he got kind of freaked out and overwhelmed because he realized that it was real school and it was going to take a lot of things from his, his life. It was going to come with a sacrifice. And then uh, he looked at me and he said, I'm just going to go 100% to my business and be a, a great leader for Christ in the business world. And I supported him. And then now he's coming back and he said that he wished I would have slapped him and not let him quit and all of that. But then we teased each other. I mean, he was teasing me because I said to him, would you have received it from me if I would have gotten in your face like that? And he said, no, because I had to go through what I went through to hear God call me again and be clear, etc. So we're, we're honestly not trying to force people into this. But we're not going to forget what you said God said. We're, we're not going to walk away from what you've decided to walk away from because we still believe on the day you said those things that when we took time out of our life to pray for you, that we were then able to hear from God. So now it's not uh, just you being able to hear from God that's in question. It's also now us being able to hear from God. You're, you're almost saying to us like, oh, you, you don't know how to hear from God. And I'm like, no, I kind of do. Uh, I've been hearing from God for a while, and I just happen to be like, hey, uh, I'm going to pray about you now. You weren't on my radar till you told me to be on your radar. And then when I, when I got on your radar, when you got on my radar, I prayed about it, and then I was like, oh, you're called. Okay, let's do that now. You know, so if you want to change that, don't get mad at us when we're still saying, nope, I know how to hear from God, and he said you were called. Can I hear an amen to that? So congratulations for staying. Don't quit. Don't give up. Watch what God will do in your life. He'll do an amazing work in your life. Now, to this message right here, look at Matthew chapter 23. 
Verse 11, we were going through this yesterday, verse by verse in the Sunday church. And it says, the greatest among you will be your servant, for those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Here's the new title I want to give this. Servant of all is from the scripture, can't go wrong with it, but I have a better way to say it now. Jesus can do with me whatever he wants. That's where I want to go a little deep with you today and go into uh, kind of like below the surface of ministry and to your heart and to your mindset and to how you go to bed at night, to how you think about yourself when you're all alone, to how you view the big picture of your life, the way you fit into the universe as a minister. Jesus, you can do with me what you want. When I think about the day that I gave my heart to Jesus, I was, it was November 5th, 1995. It's about to be ready to be 24 years tomorrow. I was 18 years old. I was on drugs. I was facing a crisis. There are generally two different ways people will come to know God, either through a crisis or through a journey of spiritual or intellectual discovery. I came by the way of crisis. I needed Jesus and I needed Jesus now. I had a lot of problems. The world would have said, Joe, you need Jesus, okay? And technically, we all need Jesus, but I was at a crisis. I wasn't doing life well. I wasn't getting along even with my own self. One of the things that I say now from the truck to, to awaken people's minds to what we're saying is the reason why you get drunk is because you, uh, you don't like yourself. The reason why you can't be alone is because you don't like yourself. That's why you always have to be in a relationship. Well, that's speaking about me. And then, and then I say, you'll like this too, Sadia. You say you're good. That's not what your therapist said. Come on. I'll just ask your therapist. She'll tell me the truth about you. Okay, so I got a lot of these one-liners now. And then, when they, and then when they walk by with their phone down, they pretend they don't hear me. One of the things that I say is, hey, man, Google something for me. Google. And they look up, and I ask them to Google, does my life have meaning? Google, does my life have meaning? Or I'll say to them, ask Siri, what's your purpose here? And that gets them to kind of, you know, look at us for a second as they move about their day. But, but here, here's the thing. When I came to Christ through a crisis, I had to still make a genuine decision to make him the Lord of my life, to surrender everything. Because uh, if people think giving your life to Jesus in a crisis is easy, that's not true. As you guys were uh, you know, singing in the worship time, that if pastors knew how to do that, they wouldn't commit suicide. Or if people that are turning to alcohol knew how to do it, they, they wouldn't be alcoholics. And so giving your life to Christ in the middle of addiction, crisis, and those things also takes faith. It takes you being able to go, I I give up. I'm done trying to fix myself. And one of the benefits that I got is that Jesus made me a normal person. Like I, I was able to do normal life after that. Well, it wasn't long after that, you know, nine months later, I'm called into the ministry in Bible college. A couple years later, I'm starting a church. Well, it, it didn't take long for me to begin to start thinking to myself like, hey, I'm sober-minded now. I could probably do other things in life too. 
Like, I came to Christ in the middle of a crisis. I wonder if I just got a little bit too hyped up on Jesus juice, and now I just need to kind of chill out a little bit. Like, I could actually live out some of these dreams that I had before I got whacked out on drugs. Like, maybe I could be a lawyer now. Maybe I could be a pilot. Maybe I could go and do all of these things. Like, why am I now stuck here? Just because Joe was broke, busted, and disgusted over here and needed Jesus to pick him up and take him off a of grumble alley and, and set him on, you know, prosperous lane, just because God had to do that all for me then, what if now, like, with a sober mind, I just go be a Christian businessman? Maybe that can be a plan. Maybe that can happen. And I started to battle those kinds of thoughts. Other kinds of thoughts that I began to battle was, well, now that I'm doing ministry, I'm doing ministry like this. It's in the urban area. And believe it or not, SUM actually used to stand for the School of Urban Missions. Okay? So it used to be urban focus. That's why there was a U in SUM. It wasn't for you to be like, get some of that, you know, or get some Bible college. It's not a play off the word some. It's actually standing for urban. So I found myself in a lot of urban environments. I would travel to cities just to go straight to their ghetto. Oh, we're in Oklahoma City. Where are we going? Right to their ghetto. We in Atlanta. Where are we going? To the hood. We, we in Miami. Where are we going? Like everywhere I ended up going to minister just put me in the hood. Like, like it wasn't, sometimes they would take us to nice restaurants before and after the events, but primarily it was throw them in the hood. And so I just was in the hood all the time. And the only time I wasn't in the hood is when I was on Bourbon Street or with a bunch of crazy people, so in, in crazy drunk people. So in my world, life just became like crazy, drunk, wild partying. I'm witnessing to you or down and out, gang banging, like that, like, like that was my world. And so sometimes I just began to think to myself, I come from Fort Wayne, Indiana, the land of suburbs. There are large churches there with fountains that make Disney worlds uh, feel a little shy sometimes, you know. These huge three-cross lake with fountain thing going on. And, and people like me, pastors, living in, you know, these five-bedroom suburban homes with pools in their backyard. And, and they show up to ministry and they do this. And I started thinking, like, why not just do that? I mean, that's... That's ministry. I'm not going to put them down. I know when I was in the suburbs, I show needed Jesus. Amen. And uh, it was funny because the, the youth pastor that I had at that time that made a lot of impact in my life actually came from being a youth pastor in D-Town, Detroit. So he was always that edgy, edgy urban guy that we all like. So I'm like, maybe I'll be that edgy now, uh, New Orleans or wherever type person now in my beautiful suburban Fort Wayne, Indiana town. Is anybody tracking with me here? And so as these options start, started to come into my life, God had to ground me in the principles of ministry for me to understand that wasn't for me. But he couldn't do it uh, by a way that I would not receive it. So God speaks to us in ways that we receive it in ways that make sense to us. And here's one of the things that he spoke to me. So it is based on the word of God, which is not of private interpretation. That's an obvious scripture. 
We are to be great servants. If we want to be great in the kingdom, we are to be the servants of all. That means we serve God and his people. End of discussion. Do what God says and follow the call and serve good, uh, serve the people and do the good that he has for you. That's the interpretation. That's for all of us. The next part, whoever tries to exalt themselves, come up to Jesus with a different plan, a different way, will be knocked down. All those who come laid down with their life and all that they have before Jesus will be lifted up. Does everybody understand the interpretation there? That is of public for all the body of Christ interpretation. Now, the private interpretation, the spoken word to me by the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit spoke to me, which I want to help encourage you with, and it may be something very close to what he'll speak to you, or at least it will share with you uh, encouragement that God can speak to you in a way that you'll understand. And so, in passing one day, Pastor Ron had said this phrase that John Wimber, the founder of Vineyard, had said, and it tied together everything that God had been saying to me in the times past when those options would come up. And that was this. John Wimber said, now that God has me, he can spend me on anything he wants, even if it's just bubblegum. And so the idea was the surrendered life is not just, I surrender now so I can be the next Reinhard Bonnke and be the next greatest evangelist in Africa. Or I'm surrendering my life so that I can see revival and that I'm going to be the next revival pastor. Because all of us seem to tie our callings into these grandiose big things, which God tells us to do. But then what that big thing becomes is almost like our ultimatum to God. Like, God, if you don't do this great grandiose thing, then I'm going to go do something else because you've let me down. Where the original calling for all of us was never the grandiose thing. None of us, come on, let's all be honest here. None of us were called and or saved with God making a barter with us. Like, Mildred, I'm going to call you, but don't get discouraged because what I'm going to do is I promise you're going to be the next Joyce Meyer. You'll have a great American ministry life, and that is going to be your motivation. So are you okay with that, Mildred? I just want to make sure because that's what I'm offering you as you begin to offer me your life. Did he do that with any of you? If he did, we want to have a talk with you after chapel (laughs) and find out what you ate before you got that word. Because he will not call you that way. He may put in the calling this dream, this thing in your heart, or a promise of provision and those kinds of things, but it's not going to be, I'll do this if you do that. He doesn't call us that way. He calls us to a life of denial. Go to Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. It's it's start, the starting point is life is not about you. Look at it, Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. So the first thing that he says you must do to follow me is you have to deny yourself. So this can never from this point on be about you, James. It can't. 
Now, I just spent some time reading some teachings of Buddha yesterday for the monks and a little bit of the Bhagavad Gita, the teaching of self-realization with the Hindus. It's what I do on my spare, in my spare time. I read about the cults and false religions. I keep up with them. And oh, and by the way, don't let me forget to send you guys with the Apollo Quibloy books for the people in the Philippines. Whether they care or not, we're going to actually give them some books for the largest antichrist that happens to live in their country. Uh, So we'll be sending that with you, and hopefully they'll care and do something about it, but I leave that to them if they want him to continue to gain followers. He's He's claiming over 6 million followers in the last 25 years, so I think we should pay attention to the largest false Christ in the world that's stationed uh, in in the Val City in the restored Garden of Eden, as he calls it. Going back to this, so God spoke it into me in such a way during the times that kept me grounded. I belong to God. He can do whatever he wants with me. But when John Wimber, you know, gave that word that was spoken through Pastor Ron, when Pastor Ron said what John Wimber said, it all came together. And so now I want to say it to you like this. And some of the staff have heard me say it, and my wife has heard me say it. And I know it's blessed others, and I hope it blesses you. But you have to understand, this is not just for me to say, oh, look at what God gave me to give me peace. I want you to know he'll give you the same kind of peace. This is what God spoke to my heart. This is how he explained it to me. If I would have died November 4th, 1995, where would I have gone? Hell. I would have been in hell. Those of you who are not paying attention, I said I got saved November 5th. So where do unsaved people go? Hell. Do we actually still believe in a hell here? How many, not to say you don't read the book of Matthew often, or not to say you never read Matthew or whatever, but how many through reading the book of Matthew verse by verse have learned about Jesus talking about hell a lot? Like it's just surpri- it's surprising how often he brings it up, even just as like put downs. You know, you go over here to make a convert and you make them twice the son of hell as you are. Like that's a phrase like you just can't even imagine most preachers even saying. You are twice the son of the devil as somebody else. First of all, they don't even talk about children of the devil, let alone to look at people and go, you're twice as much a child of the devil as these people over here. Like, he's always doing that. Like, like I read Matthew understanding that, but I read Matthew, and I want to be just real honest with you. I read Matthew going, oh, my goodness, I don't know if I'm talking about this enough. Because I, I got convicted, and I talk about hell in almost every sermon, but I'm like, is the reality of it that in front of the people that I can say I preach it like Jesus does? And that's where you see I try my best, whether it's I'm gritting my teeth for the gnashing of teeth illustration or describing fire, I am trying to use the exact illustrations Jesus did to wake us up. So November 4th, If I would have died, where would I have been? In hell. So all that you now know from November 5th onward never would have existed. Okay? So now imagine, go here with me. This is God talking to me in my prayer time. I've been in hell this whole time. Just imagine that for a minute. I've been in hell 24 years. Suffering in hell. Now, just because... You think that I talk about hell 
and say Jesus did it, you may not say it's, you may agree with that, but you may not say it's okay to actually have an illustration of somebody in hell. Let me show you quickly, go to Luke chapter 16, verse 9, because I want to give you good theology in the middle of what God has spoken to me, and I'm just hoping that this will bless you. Look at Luke chapter 16, verse 9, uh, verse 19 rather. He tells the story, there was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen, lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried in Hades or in hell where he was in torment. He looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. Boy, didn't Jesus give us a mindset of hell and how we're supposed to think about people actually being there? So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me. Send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. And any Jehovah Witness that tells you that's a parable in a parable, let them know they don't know what a parable is. When Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritan, he doesn't say when Frodo was in the Shire. Do you understand parables have to deal with real places and things? When he tells a parable, he doesn't say, and on Mars there was a Martian. Is there a Samaria? Yes, so there can be a Good Samaritan. Is there a road to Jericho? Yes, so there can be a story there. Is there a how? Yes, is there an Abraham's bosom, or was there one at that time? Yes, now Abraham's bosom has been brought to the presence of of God. The reason why they couldn't be there was because they had not been born again. Remember, they had to wait to be born again at the cross, and so they got taken out of the grave, out of that place of, of, it was still paradise, but out of that place into the very presence of God. So the Bible says he led captivity captive, and he brought them into the presence of God, and as he did, he gave gifts to men. So as the saints went up into heaven from this place we call as paradise, Abraham's bosom, which was next to the tormenting place, as they go up into heaven, the gifts of the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit comes down on the church. But is it right to think about people in hell? Absolutely. Is it good to tell stories about that? Yes. Is it good in youth group to play a video or a a skit where a girl screams out or a guy screams out there in hell and wish they would have heard it? Yes. Because the Bible says he used it as a parable. He used it as a parable. Okay, so now, let's go. Let me tell you my parable. November 5th, Joe's in hell. November 6th, Joe's in hell. November 7th, Joe's in hell. Joe's begging. What is Joe begging? Not only just for the cooling of my tongue, not only for the torment to stop, but what am I going to beg being a person raised in church and as a backslider who at that time been baptized twice? What am I begging now? I'm saying, God, let me out, and I'll do whatever you want. I'll do whatever you want. Now, just think about this. If there was a way to get out of hell, which there is not, but if there was, let's say Jesus would have said to me, this is what I want you to do. I I want you to be a pastor in Chicago, in a storefront, never get more than 100 people, live and die, nameless, faceless. Would you do that? How many know I would jump as fast as I can out those flames? Do that in my heart, right? If he said, I want you to go to the Philippines, live by the garbage dumps, live where the homeless children try to find their food and their recyclable items and all of those things. I want you to live in poverty. I want you to eventually die of a sickness you catch from being there. 
Would, would I do that? Absolutely. So now get this, get this. How dare I now, as a well-treated servant with a church well over 100, with students who love Jesus and who are here in chapel and a wife and children, how dare I now complain I don't have as many as Joel Osteen does? Or how dare I complain I don't make as much money as the pastor in the Fort Wayne Suburban Church does? Now, that may not seem like the most profound word to you, but that word changed the way I looked at everything. Because now, can I really ever complain? I can't. I I can come to Jesus with my honest disappointments. He can handle that. He's okay with our heartbreaks and our disappointments and us being real with him. But can I come to him with a real, like, you tricked me attitude. Like no, like, no, God, I can't believe it turned out this way. I thought we would be so much bigger by now. I thought I would have my name on the, the big lights there like Kanye West does. He gets saved for one week, and now Jesus is king is everywhere. I've been saved for 20 years, and Jesus is, nobody knows Jesus is king in Chicago, Right? You see how real it gets? It gets real. While you were out, that's what I like to say to Kanye, sit down and study for a little bit because while you were out there dancing with J-Lo, being perverted and all that, I was in the inner city getting spat on by gangbangers. Christianity wasn't always cool, my man. We didn't always get to show up at parks with 10,000 of our followers and say, oh, hey, by the way, I love Jesus now. Some of us had to show up with parks with only two or three people to listen to us. But we still love Jesus. But now it would almost sound like that that could become a bitterness. Some get exalted faster than us, and they've made the same, the same denial I did. And so I can't say that they came a different way because if they're really a Christian, then that means they had to deny themselves. But why is it some people who deny themselves have a different road, a road that looks better than my road? And then that's where we get to the parable of Jesus in Matthew 20. How many are glad Jesus told parables? How many, how many like watching the videos with the drawings on Facebook? Like that's how you understand, right? When they draw it, and then they, they put the pictures there, and they say, this is physics for children. How many know that's where you're starting? That's where you're starting. Remember, this, this, is, this is aerodynamics for children. This is how air pressure works. We are, we are in a generation we can learn anything if we just humble ourselves. <clears throat> Excuse me, I'm glad he took the time to say, this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. It's like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. You remember this. We've been through this on a Sunday. About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in the vineyard, and I'll pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about noon and three in the afternoon and did the same. And about five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers, pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired, going to the first. 
The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. Kanye just got saved and he receives a denarius. So here I am sitting back being saved for 20 years, put in all this hard work, and I'm waiting now to see what happens. Maybe I'm going to receive more, they thought, but each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These who were hired last only worked an hour. They said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, I am not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous. So the last will be first, and the first will be last. So let's say now I go and knock at Kanye's door, and I say, this is not fair. You just got saved. Now you're one of the greatest evangelists of our nation, reaching more millennials than I ever even dreamed of. I just wanted 100,000. Now millions are hearing the gospel through you. And just five months ago, you were calling yourself Jesus, right? Or whatever, a year ago. But what would Jesus say? Jesus would say, don't I have the right to do that? Don't I have the right to do that? Joe, when you got saved November 5th, 1995, what did I promise you? Did I promise you you would be as big as a rap star coming to Jesus? Did I promise you, Joe, that you would have a bigger church than, than anybody at that time? Joe, did I promise you? See, Jesus could talk very honestly to me. And I would say, no, you just promised to save me. And I know if I would have died a day before, that would have been all I ever wanted, to be saved. And so that's all you promised that day. And I agreed. And after that, you've given me a lot of other promises, which I think are just as cool and awesome as Kanye's promises or ministry, whatever God has told him he can do. Mine are just as cool. Mine are just as awesome. There's no big I's and little U's in the kingdom. I'm doing my part. He's doing his part. And so now I'm supposed to look at this and be free from the jealousy or from the frustration that I face. And now what I'm supposed to do is fulfill the call that I have and go, you know what? If I'm going to work for Jesus, I'm going to work with a good attitude because he's a good God. He deserves my best, and that's what I'm going to give him. And so when you look at your life, those are the things you're going to have to wrestle with. Like, for example, Kanye's not here. And that's not maybe what's frustrating you. Maybe you're like Lawrence right now, 22, 23, how old are you? 23. And he's saying, hey, God, how come Joe got to start his own church at 22? Why am I not doing that? Joe got to start a church at 22. And, and then Jared could be here and go, God, why is it I still have to do secular non uh, ministry work to get paid when Pastor Joe at a certain time in his life in his early 20s never had to work again, ministry provide for all of his needs. Now I work 
for, I want to say I don't work for my needs, I work for my greeds. No, but <laughs> tell it on myself. No, I'm working to achieve some dreams that, that I got I to gotta go beyond some stuff. But uh, I don't want to get myself in trouble. I'm working for my wants, not my needs. Let me put it to you like that. Okay. But I haven't had to have a non-ministry job in over 20 years to provide for my needs. My wife got a job to give us insurance and all those things, but we still could have made it without it, but God was gracious. And, and so Jared may say, well, why, why doesn't Joe have to tent make? Why, why doesn't he have to suffer this way? And Lawrence could say, well, why, doesn't, why, why, doesn't I, why don't I get the opportunity to start a church right now? Because Pastor Joe got to do that, and he got to learn through all of his mistakes. Why am I still waiting? Why am I still in a process? You know, and then someone like my good friend Juan could say, I think he's 44 years old starting his first church. God, why did it take so long? We all can come at this looking to somebody else going, why not them, God? Why, why don't I have what they have? Now, the, the kind of old way of looking at it is, you always think the grass is greener on the other side. Uh, you know, your problems are your problems. You don't want anybody else's problems. But that's not always true. Some people just have better lives than you. And you need to get over that. Sometimes we try to level it and we try to say, yeah, yeah, but you know, they're not as happy as I am. In the Christian kingdom, no, Joel Osteen may be just as happy as I am. Joel Osteen may be just as content as I like. Honestly, there may be people who just have more and as are, and as are godly as you are and as just and are just as godly as you are. So sometimes we try to level it. You know, like even here, you know, well, well, if I was in the south and if I was building a church there, oh, I could have what Damon Thompson has. I mean, of course, he's in the Bible belt. Those guys sneeze, everybody says God bless you. We say God bless you to somebody who sneezes, they're putting a lawsuit on us. Hello? Seriously, we live in a place where we preach the gospel, they urinate in front of us. They go out in South Carolina and Charlotte and preach the gospel. People go down on their knees, repent, and accept Jesus, start singing along with them. I mean... Yeah, if I was in the South, oh, if I was there. I mean, listen, you can listen to pastors sing their sad song. Every pastor's got a sad song. Oh, you know, this new pastor just came to our city, but he's just reaching all the people with money. He's not reaching the hurting. Oh, yeah, these people over there, they're just reaching all the hurting, and so that's easy for them to fill up their church. I'm out here reaching the rich. It's hard to get the rich. Man, forget all that. Stop doing that. I've been around even experienced wise pastors who have a lot of wisdom in other areas of their life, and they say stuff like that, and it still makes me puke. That led me down a bad road. That will never help you. Stop thinking that way. My friend, if he loves God and is doing the right thing, whether he's in Fort Wayne, Philippines, rich, poor, whatever, can have just as high of a quality of life as I am having here doing what I'm doing, and vice versa. I can have just as great of a quality of life as them, as they are over there. And at the same time, uh, go get the board for me, because I just want to draw this out so everybody can see it. At the same time, we're all living the same quality of a godly life. Thank you for the pep in your steps, sir. I really appreciate that. They can have more than us. So you, you 
You don't get to feel better about yourself if you're just trying to look at it like, well, maybe my life's better than that. I'm not talking about sinners. Of course our life is better than sinners. Thank you, sir. This is the broke down one. Okay, after this, I want this to be given to somebody and thrown out, okay? Or thrown, or thrown out. Never want to see this thing again. Okay, spread out the legs, please, and then we'll do it right. And then we'll never see this thing again. Okay. I want to draw on this, just a simple little illustration so everybody can see it. Just keep holding it there, too. Let's say this is Bob's quality of life. This is your quality of life. Do you guys get that? You and Bob have the same exact quality of life. Let's say this is Bob's external ministry success. Let's say this is your external ministry success. That's what I'm saying. How do you deal with that? You can't just look at Bob and be like, well, I'm more spiritual than Bob. No, you're not. What makes you more spiritual than Bob? There's great people that have great ministries. Like, let's take Reinhard Bunke, for example. Let's just say, like, somebody we would all know and love, or a Billy Graham. Billy Graham had just as much godliness as me. There's, there's nothing I need to do to lower him down in his godliness, his love for discipleship, his whatever, you know. But this is the amount of ministry success he had. Here I am with this amount of ministry success. What do you do? See, what, you're, what you and I are doing is looking at it the wrong way. Here was God's call for him. Here is God's call for me. The question is, did we both reach God's call? Did we both work when we were called to work, and did we guard this inner life? Now, if you could just leave it there, that would be cool, and I won't touch it. That will be our illustration. Does everybody see that? So we may not all win a million souls for Jesus. Somebody may only win 10 souls for Jesus. But were you faithful in your call? I'm not going to be judged based on whether or not I did what Billy Graham did. Therefore, I shouldn't judge myself on that. Don't judge yourself on something God did not give you to do. This is how you lay down at night. This is how I lay down at night, still pastoring in this storefront church. When I pass churches in the suburbs that have less than 20, 30 people, and this is the size of their children's ministry room, okay, because they're a dying church, and I try to talk to these pastors, and they don't want to do anything except let the thing die. Okay, listen to me. What I do when I lay my head down at night is I say, God, did I do it all according to your will? And if I haven't along the way, have I repented? You know, maybe there were some mistakes I made, but, but have I been restored to that right relationship? And I hear the Lord say to me, well done, all the time. I'm not just waiting to get to heaven to hear well done. I hear the Lord say well done all the time to me, that he is happy, proud, uh, you know, he is rewarding all of those adjectives and nouns you can think of. That's what he thinks about me. And so to kind of close this out, I want us to turn to Revelation chapter 6, uh, excuse me, chapter 5, verse 15. Chapter 5, verse 15. Because this is what gives me the peace 
to go through life's ups and downs and ministries and ministry. Look at it starting. Let's start in verse 15 here. There is no verse 15. I wrote that down wrong, didn't I? It's supposed to be verse 9. And they sang a new song saying, verse 9, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. He purchased us. You have made them, plural, all of them, to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. So collectively, we become the body of Christ. Collectively, we become the priests and the kingdom of God upon the earth. It doesn't matter whether or not I did uh, what Billy Graham did. He might have been the hand. I might have been the foot. It only matters, did I do what God wanted me to do? And did I rest at peace in the will of God? Because he's the one who purchased me. He's the one who purchased me. And so in closing, the way I kind of look at it is, imagine you're at the Lamb's Supper or the Supper of the Lamb. You're there at the inauguration of the millennial reign where, you know, we're watching the blood flow throughout Jerusalem as high as a horse's head. It's trickling on down. Um, The vultures are eating the flesh around us. And after the battle, think 300, think something like that. There's the table before you in the presence of your enemies. They're dead. They're squashed. They've been treaded like grapes in the presence of the Lord. And there you and I are eating somewhat like those medieval folks, big thing of, uh, you know, leg of turkey in your mouth. And, and you got this. And the Bible says the finest of meats and the best of age wines. And you've got this big gauntlet and you're drinking. It's coming down your beard, you know. And, and then you're just feasting. And you have a smile on your face, okay? And you're happy and you're there. Are we complaining at that moment? Are we now, come on, let's think about it. Are we now saying back to God, tap, 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 tap. Excuse me, God. While everybody's celebrating, um, I just want to ask you a question. Why didn't I get as many people as Billy Graham did? No, you're in the kingdom. You're grateful to be there. You were purchased. You're now going to rule and reign with Christ. You recognize it wasn't of anything you had done. It was all the grace of God. And this is the part in this imagination that always makes me cry because it's so hard for us to imagine it now because even in ministry, we have so much of our egos. But I can imagine it then. Billy Graham with his gauntlet coming over to me as we sing a song, you know, we're just rejoicing. And then he says to me, he says, tell me about Chicago. You see what I'm saying? Because all of his ego is gone. All of my ego is gone. And I'm like, let me tell you about Chicago. And he's going to say, oh, yeah, Lawrence, he got, he got raised up as a Christian, and he became your drummer, and they did, he did this as he married Jack. Yeah, oh, that's so exciting to hear. Oh, and then James, that, oh, man, tell me again about James. We'll tell the stories about how we've overcome and about how God used us 
And I'm telling you, Reinhard Bonnke will walk right over to Rosa and say, Rosa, tell me about the Spanish Bible study. What did our Jesus do there? What did our Jesus do in that house? What did he do? And he'll come to TJ and he'll say, TJ, tell me about Taft. Because we will see it clearly that it was all God. As Paul said, it was none of us. Why are you arguing? I'm with Paul. I'm with Apollos. Why are you guys caring about this? Listen, one of our greatest, Stephen, died at his first sermon. Are we going to say that Stephen wasn't as great as Stephen Furtick or of Billy Graham? Stephen gave it his all, and his all was that day, and he's over. Come on, somebody. I mean, when we look to the stories of the military, we could take so many of those examples. Those brave men who died on the boats were just as brave as those who made it up the shore and got to travel throughout all of Europe, etc. They were both brave. They were both giving it their all. And if one didn't die there, the other one couldn't get up there. They all had to do their part. They all had to be faithful to their call. And so sometimes I just imagine what that will be like to sit down with Charles Finney and John Wesley and and Lester Summerall and these heroes that surround us with their testimonies right now and to hear them say, well done, Lawrence. You know, and you may want to look at Lester Summerall and be like, Lester Summerall, why was it at 15? You started your first evangelistic crusade. You brought churches to almost every nation you went to. You were a spiritual father to thousands. You, you, you bought, you know, a big ocean liner to give away food. You did all of that. And here, here I am. I just, I did this. You know, in heaven we won't talk like that. Because what would they say right back to us? What you did is what God said. We love what you did. And so this is my way of saying the sermon title again, Jesus can do with me whatever he wants. Don't compare yourself to others. Run your race. Be excited about what God is doing in your life. And I've been around pastors where because they're so insecure and prideful, all they do is talk about themselves and never ask me about Chicago. But I know in heaven they'll ask me about Chicago. They'll care. And so let's give each other a taste of heaven here. Let's ask each other about the things we're doing for God and encourage each other. And not give each other attaboys, oh, oh man, I'm just so proud of you, but you're really just trying to look down on them because you've already won a soul and now they're winning their first soul. It's such a, not an issue to you anymore. No, truly rejoice like heaven rejoices for a soul. Truly rejoice for the life groups, for the people, for the sacrifices that your brothers and sisters are making because it matters to God. It matters to God. And get out of this. Get out of trying to say, well, they must be, they, you know, they must be suffering more. Or, they, or, you know, I must be better than them. My marriage is better than them. Not when we're talking about other Christians. Because when I have 100,000 by God's grace, I don't want the whippersnapper with the new church to go, well, Joe's marriage is probably busted. This is probably, no, I want you to know, bro, I'm living for Jesus 100. 100%. I'm just as blessed as I've ever been. 100,000 didn't change me, bro. 
Come on. And so I don't, I don't want to look up at a Reinhard Bonnke and go, well, there must have been compromise. I, to hell with that. I don't want to level people that way. Or because he planted here and I planted here, or they had it easier there. To forget that. You just did what God called you to do. And John the Baptist said it like this in closing. Uh, let's go to, I believe it's uh, Matthew. John the Baptist said, I must decrease that he can increase. It's either going to be in Matthew, Luke, Mark, or John. Because he, uh, that he was baptizing more people. Where is that found? Because I just got that right now. I want to share that with you. Where? John 3.30. Let's go there. What does it say? Jesus was baptizing. Is that what it says? Yes, yes. Okay, let's go there. John 30. John 3, verse 30. Here we go. To this John replied, well, let's go to verse 26. They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, look, he is baptizing and everyone is going to him. To this John replied, a person can only receive what is given them from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Messiah, but am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom awaits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine, and it is now complete. He must become greater. I must become less. And quickly in closing here, anytime we see people doing great in life, what can we say to them? My God did that. My God did that. My Father did that for you. And sometimes that takes the edge off of your jealousy and their pride. Because as they just, you know, I just got to tell you about this, man. This thing happened at IHOP, and this is going over here at Upper Room. That is so awesome. My God blessed you like that. Isn't my God so good? Because it's almost like they want to tell the story like their God is not your God. Isn't my Father so awesome that he would do that for you? My father's so good that he does that for people just like you. I'm glad my father blessed you like that. So doesn't that change it? It takes away your, it takes away your jealousy and takes away their pride. My God has been so good to you. My God has been so gracious to you guys there in the upper room. That's so awesome my God did that. I'm gonna pray that my God keeps doing that in your life, right? Because it's my God. It's not just your God, it's my God. My God is doing these things upon the earth. My God is the God who gave you those things because you couldn't have received one thing if it wasn't for him. I couldn't have received this church if it wasn't for him. Planting a church at 22 if it wasn't for him. So on and so forth. And so look at your life not in the context of how does it stack up externally to others, but how does it measure to what God has given me? Has God been honored? Has God been glorified? Yes. Hopefully you can say that. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today that you've been good to us. You've been good to every one of us here. And Lord, we want to become more grateful and mindful of all that you do.
rid from our hearts any jealousy that we have towards others, even maybe in this room. We're jealous of the grades. We're jealous of the relationships. We're jealous of uh, how they're doing in ministry. Lord, rid our hearts of all jealousy and have us just look to you today. You are our God. You are the one who blesses us and gives us callings. And Lord, we ought not to look down on our calling. Stephen today is in your presence rejoicing. And Paul got to live a long life. Lord, let us see both as your perfect will. Let us be content with what you've given us. Lord, I, I thank you that we can relate to the early disciples when Peter was talked about his death and how he would be treated as such and such a way. And then he asked, well, what about John? And you said, that's none of your business. Lord, help us not to mind others' business in that way, but to mind the kingdom business you've given us. And as we search your heart and your will for our lives, may we do it from the gratitude of being a servant, denying ourselves, not feeling like we are owed anything. And if my story today that you've shared with me has encouraged them, Lord, let them also be reminded that they could have been in hell screaming out even to this day for another chance. And so, Lord, let them be grateful for what they have today. They're in the land of the living. They get to praise you. They get to experience you. And, Lord, I pray that whatever tests they go through, they'll go through those tests knowing that nothing they face can be as bad as what it would have been like to spend an eternity without you. Let us be centered on you, filled with your joy and your peace and prosperous in all that we do. And I pray over this uh, quarter break that everyone has a moment to uh, get alone, to reflect, to be grateful that they made it this far, even if they didn't get all the accomplishments they wanted to or achieve all the grades they wanted. But Lord, let them reflect back. Let them take a moment during this break to be grateful. Let them come to the new uh, semester ready to serve you, oh God, with a fresh zeal. Now with the first semester under their belt with experience, God. Those who are in relationships, may they continue to walk holy so that they don't defile themselves and have to step away. May they finish their race of relational purity so they can start a new race of marriage. I pray that all here will be faithful, God. Faithful to you, God, because you've been so faithful to us. You deserve everything, God, and it's our joy. It's our honor to be here with you and to serve you. In your name, in Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. amen.